about 5.40 or so in the morning on that Sunday so long ago, the first bit of light spilled into the morning sky. And one thing everybody had in common, they all believed Jesus was dead. The Romans, the Jewish authorities, and Jesus' followers, they didn't agree on much, but they all believed that Jesus, the Nazarene, was dead. The Romans, they were experts in the cra- and craftsmen in the art of death. No one ever given to their custody came back alive. Jesus, the Nazarene, he was no different. He was affixed to their preferred method of torture and death. He was affixed to the cross, and he didn't make it out alive. The Romans, as they awoke on Sunday, they knew Jesus was dead because they killed him. The Jewish elite, the religious authorities, they knew Jesus was dead too. From their perspective, that Galilean troublemaker was troubled no more. That Jesus of Nazareth, he was gone. They had given their collective trouble over to the Roman authorities, and the Roman authorities had put him on the cross. They watched and relished the sight of him struggling for breath, and they saw that he was dead. They awoke Sunday knowing he was dead. They saw him die. The Roman soldiers, the Jewish authorities, and his followers, his followers thought he was dead too. His followers were huddled away in a room, Defeated, dismayed, and despondent. With Jesus alive, there was hope. With him dead, there was none. As Sunday dawned, they had no idea what life held for them, but they knew one thing, along with the Romans and the Jews. They knew he was dead. They agreed that Jesus, as amazing and miraculous and stupendous as he was, was no more. He was dead, never to come back. Because they knew no one ever walked out of, out of tombs. They knew no one broke the bonds of death. They all knew that anyone who carried their cross never came back. They knew that the dead always, always, without exception, stayed dead. And yet, we have cause to celebrate this morning because what they thought they knew was turned on its head. Jesus hops out of the tomb and in essence says, surprise. We're going to read that in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. If you have a Bible, it's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 24. It's the very, 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 very last chapter of Luke. If you make it to John, it's a great book, but that's not where we're going to be. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. Now, the first day of the week we're going to read about here is a group of ladies, including Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Salome, and others, are going to go and complete the burial of Jesus. So we're going to go with them in the early light of morning so long ago in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. Follow along with me as I read from the English Standard Version. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. 
And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they went, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered. They remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Surprise. The Romans, the Jews, his followers, they all believed Jesus was dead. They all believed he was gone. But Easter is the ultimate plot twist. Now we know that these ladies expected to find Jesus dead because of what they took to the tomb. They did not take party hats or noisemakers or silly string. They took spices. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. The Jewish custom was when someone died, you would wrap the body up in a shroud, and throughout that wrap, put in something along the lines of 75 pounds of spices. So these ladies took a whole bunch of spices, not just a few essential oils or candles or whatever. They took a bunch, and they were going to make it to the tomb to tend to Jesus' body. Because if you know the story, you know that Jesus died on Friday, right when the sun was about to go down, right when the Sabbath was about to start. And so the Jews had no time to be able to finish his burial. And since on Sabbath they could do no work, they said, first thing Sunday morning, once the light seeps into the sky, we're out of here and we're going to go tend to his body. But what was remarkable for that day was not what they found, it's what they didn't find. They expected to find his body. They come, the tombs rolled away, they see there is no body in the tomb. And Luke tells us in verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Presumably angels. They're the only ones I know of who have apparel that dazzles. And they were frightened and bowed their faces, they being the women, were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now that's a little bit snarky, right? First of all, these angels show up. They're shiny, you know. They're shiny, they're resplendent, they're looking good. These ladies are coming, trying to find the body of Jesus, expecting to see Jesus dead. And these angels come and say, why do you seek the living among the dead. Why are you looking for somebody who's alive? Why are you looking for somebody who's alive among the dead ones? Now, if these ladies had their wits, they might say, well, we saw him die, doofus. Or doofus is. I don't know what plural doofus is. We saw him die. He's dead. He's not missing. If we're coming to find his body and tend to his body, where else are we supposed to look? The the, the food court at the mall? What are we supposed to do? We go to cemeteries to find bodies. Now, admittedly, these guys in dazzling apparel, 
they probably don't have a lot of people shooting back at them snarky comments. They're the ones who get the corner of the snarky comment monopoly here in verse 6. He, they say, is not here but has risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? We saw him die. That's why. But where is he? He is not here, they say. He has risen. He has risen. So let's take score. Remember, we said the Jews, the Romans, his followers, three groups of people who don't agree much about anything. Everyone awoke on Sunday morning and they believe that Jesus Christ, the man who held such promise, the one who was supposed to be Messiah, they believed that he was dead, not just dead, but dead and gone. And they were wrong. Now most of us in this room might believe Jesus is neither dead nor gone. But there's a lot of us who can still look, to find, look for the living among the dead. We might believe in the resurrection, but yet treat Jesus like he's dead. These women, they're not so different than we are. These women, they take spices to adorn his dead body. And you know what? If we're honest, we, all of us in this room, might treat Jesus as if he were dead. We would never admit that, yeah, we agree with the Romans or the Jews or Jesus' followers at the time believing that he is dead. No, we might say, hey, we're in church, so we're going to talk about him being alive. But you know what? Practically, we might live like he's dead. This morning, we're going to mark out four ways that we can act like Jesus is dead and not risen. Four ways that we seek the living among the dead. How do we live like Christ is dead? First, the first way, we live like Christ is dead if we consider the resurrection like it doesn't matter. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Maybe you don't even recognize the big deal about Easter. The whole story seems strange. Let me just tell you, it is strange. The Christian story is strange. It's weird. We follow a Palestinian preacher who never wrote a book, who we've never seen with our eyes, and never talked to face to face, who lived over 20 centuries ago. We follow him like our lives depend on it because they do. That's different. That's strange. That's odd. John Bloom says it's true. The story of Jesus is humanly strange. A young Palestinian virgin miraculously conceives a boy child whose father is God, the creator of the universe. The boy child is born in ironic ignominy, yet heralded by a miracle star and angelic host greeted by shepherds and Persian astrologers and hunted by a homicidal, homicidically paranoid king. The strangeness continues through Jesus' sinless life, miraculous public ministry, his betrayal and horrible crucifixion, then his resurrection from the dead. This is followed by his ascension after he affirms his promise to return and commissions his small band of followers to preach his gospel throughout the world. His followers carry out this commission and launch the most influential multi-ethnic religious faith the world has ever seen. That is weird and strange. And any Christian who tells you it's not, isn't being honest. 
For those of you who don't normally come to church, I get the fact that this sounds so weird. How many people do you know who have died and came back to life? None. Not permanently. Now we Christians, we can be a strange lot. We can be weird. We can be strange. But what we believe is even stranger. See, what you need to understand is that Jesus is our defining characteristic. He promised that when he was on earth that he would live and die and rise again. Others said that they could avoid death but did not. Jesus said he would die and come back, and he did. The resurrection of Jesus proves that Jesus of Nazareth is worth following. Because he holds out hope, not just that you can have a happy life, but that you can follow him and not taste the bitter pill of death. Because he did. You see, him coming back from the dead was not just him flexing his power. It was him opening a new way. He opened a way so that men and women from any tribe or nation or people or language could avoid the sting of eternal death. When Jesus was killed on that Friday so long ago, it was a tragedy. It was totally unjust, but there was much more going on. He didn't just die, he died for others. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ Jesus died for our sin, our sins. He didn't die for himself. He died for others. His death was the fulfillment of a promise, a long-ago promise made by multiple different prophets, but the seer Isaiah puts it in a way that is memorable, as he says in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 through 6. But he, this is Jesus, 700 years before he was born, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. His death was more than an execution. It was a substitution. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was killed for other people's sins. And you might not think that you're very much of a sinner, and maybe you're not compared to the other people in your lives. But what we all have to recognize is that all of us have fallen short of what we should be. All of us do wrong and fall short on a regular basis. We do what we shouldn't do. We don't do what we should do. We say things we ought not to. We don't say things we should. We've done things against others. We've done things against ourselves. We've done things over and over and over again and fall short. And all the punishment that deserved to be meted out upon ourselves. And yet Jesus, it is said that Jesus died for our sins. And that means this, that Jesus' death was more than just a tragedy. It was an opportunity. An opportunity for us to find hope and shelter in Him. Because at the cross, here's what happened. God's wrath for sin was spent on Jesus. So no longer is there any wrath or anger from the Father 
to the people who find their hope in Jesus. He did not just die on the cross. He was punished for the sins of all his people. That's how it can be said, he died for us. And maybe you don't think much about the resurrection or what it means, but it matters. And I'm not spending a lot of time explaining all the different theories of the resurrection. If you're interested in that, we have an article at the help desk. You can grab it there or look on our Facebook page this week. The resurrection of Jesus proved that his death, his payment for sin was enough. You see, when he died and rose again, what that is is a divine commendation to the work that Jesus did. We can't afford to treat Jesus as if he were dead and his resurrection doesn't matter. You can treat Jesus as if he were dead and think his resurrection doesn't matter, but it does because he died and rose again so that men and women need not die but yet live forever. That's why the resurrection is a big deal. We can treat Jesus as if he were dead when we consider that the resurrection doesn't really matter a lot. How else can we live like Jesus is dead? How else can we live like Jesus is dead? We can live like Jesus is dead when we don't realize that the resurrection, when we believe that the resurrection does not help us, that we're too broken. You see, there's a category of people here who believe that they've done too much and are too dirty and too unworthy and too broken to be able to be healed by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. In Shakespeare's Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, who helped murder the innocent King Duncan, was given to sleepwalking, and she was haunted by her deed. Her sleep brought her no rest, and she would walk, and she would moan, and she would talk. She's tormented by the sight of her hands, perpetually stained by the blood of this innocent man. And she spoke in her sleep, saying, Come out! Out, I command you. One, two, okay. It's time to do it. Now. Hell is murky. Nonsense, my Lord. Nonsense. You are a soldier and yet you are afraid. Why should we be scared when no one can lay the guilt upon us? But who would have thought this old man had so much blood on him? Will my hands ever be clean? And maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you consider your life and the testimony of what you've done. And you think you can't be made clean. You try. You've done good things. But your mind still torments you. You've tried to be better, but you've been haunted by guilt. You survey your life, and you find a pockmarked landscape marred and marked by sin after sin after sin after sin, and you feel unworthy. You've made promises that you could not keep. You've made promises to yourself you did not keep. You've said, I'm going to try better only to fail. You gave advice that you didn't follow. You made vows that you broke. And now you feel the stain of unworthiness so thick that you can't wash it out. And you assume neither can Jesus. Maybe you feel guilty for something you did or didn't do. Maybe it's something you can't stop doing. Maybe it's for something long past or current today. 
Those feelings of guilt, they are real. We are all guilty. Maybe you carry a sense of shame. Maybe somebody did something to you or you did something to someone else. Maybe you've never felt like you measured up and perpetually feel out of place. Maybe you feel unworthy. You sit here thinking thoughts like, everyone here, they're so put together, I don't fit. If people really knew me, they would reject me. They would turn their back on me. They look holy. They look like they know so much. I, I don't. You see, listen, those feelings of guilt and shame and unworthiness, those are real. They're not, I'm not going to tell you they're not real. What I am going to tell you is that Jesus is more powerful than those feelings of guilt and shame and unworthiness. Here's the logic. Here's the logic of the empty tomb, and here's something that we need to recognize. When Jesus strode forth from the empty tomb as victor, when he defeated death, we need to look there and say, you know what, even though I feel guilt, even though I feel shame, if Jesus can defeat death, he can defeat my guilt and shame. That's the idea. If Jesus is strong enough to break the bonds of death, he's strong enough to break the feeling of guilt. He's strong enough to break the reality of guilt. He's strong enough to wipe away our shame. He's strong enough to take that unworthiness upon himself. Even though we look to clean our hands and clean our lives, we can never make them clean enough. Jesus coming out of the tomb, he was killed, and the bonds of death, they could not hold him. Can, he, can, can the bonds of de- guilt hold us? No, because he's alive. He was slain. But the grave could not hold him. Can he slay your shame? Yes. He was murdered in the grip of death. That could not keep him or hold him. Can he free you from your unworthiness? Absolutely. He was destroyed. But the powers of darkness could not hold him down. Can the powers of darkness destroy you? No. He was trampled by the prison of death. But that prison could not hold him. Will you be trampled because of your unworthiness? No. Why? Because Jesus defeated death. He is more than up to the challenge of conquering your guilt, your shame, your unworthiness. Because he conquered death. So here's what we need to recognize this morning. We can't act as if Jesus was dead. We can't seek the living among the dead. You might think the resurrection doesn't help you because you are too guilty. Oh, but let's get our eyes off ourselves. Let's get our eyes off of what we've done and let's look at what Christ has done. Let's remember what the men in dazzling white said. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but He is risen. No longer do we need to be hounded by and harangued by guilt and shame and a sense of unworthiness. If Jesus can defeat death, he can defeat your guilt, shame, and sense of unworthiness. John Flavel says death is a dreadful enemy. It defies all the sons and daughters of Adam. None dared cope with this king of terrors but Christ. And he, by dying, went into the very den of this dragon, fought with it, and foiled it in its grave, its own territories and dominions, and came off a conqueror. If he can conquer death, He could conquer your guilt. We must not seek the living among the dead. We must not treat Christ as if He is dead. 
You treat Christ, Christ as if he is dead if you consider yourself too dirty or too unworthy to come to him and ask to be forgiven. We treat Christ as dead if we consider the resurrection of small importance like it doesn't matter. We consider Christ dead if we, consider, if we think the resurrection can't help us, that I'm too guilty. We also can treat Jesus as if he were, as if he were dead if the resurrection of Christ, his action for you, doesn't affect you too much. Maybe you're here and you believe that Jesus died and rose again. You're grateful. You'll sing. You know you're indebted. You know you're appreciative. You can get excited as the next guy or gal on the road because Easter's a great day. But you've got a life to live. You have stuff to get done. You have promotions to get. You have things to buy. You have people to impress. You have an education. And the resurrection is fine. It's great. It doesn't impact you much in your life. You believe Jesus died and rose, but your response is, Meh. Though you would never be so crass as to say it, a risen Jesus or a dead Jesus doesn't much matter. A risen Jesus, a dead Jesus doesn't much matter. That's how you think. You're in grave trouble. Many people who know a lot about God have no idea who Jesus is. Who believe that Jesus rose from the dead, they have no meaningful connection to him. There's a danger as old as the wind that lurks in the corners of all of our hearts. It's this. We can believe true things about Jesus, even that he rose, and yet not really know Jesus. We can believe true things about Jesus, even that he rose from the dead, and not really know Jesus. We can treat him like he's dead. Let's just be real straight. You can know a lot about the Bible, but yet not know the God of the Bible. You can have prayed a prayer or gone forward or raised your hand to ask Jesus in your heart, but yet not know the God who dwells in and among His people. You can have sung thousands of songs, but yet not know the God who inhabits the praise of His people. Your mind may be consumed even by the knowledge about God, but yet you don't know the God who is a consuming fire. You might have prayed many a prayer to God, but not know the God who is the shepherd to his people. You might talk a lot about your faith, but yet not know the author and perfecter of your faith. You might be able to preach like Spurgeon, but not know God who is the chief shepherd. You might believe in God and yet not know the God who was and is and is to come. You can believe Jesus rose from the dead and yet have it not affect you. You can... You can go well. You know what? If he was dead or alive, it doesn't make much of a difference to me. Would your life change if Jesus were still in his tomb? If your answer is no, something's wrong. So how do we treat Jesus like he's dead? We don't think the, the resurrection matters much. We don't think the resurrection can help us much. The resurrection doesn't affect us much. And the last reason, that we, the last way we can treat Jesus as if he were dead is that the resurrection doesn't encourage us enough. The resurrection doesn't encourage us enough. 
We, and as I say we, I say I. I think too little on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think far too little. My Savior has died and yet lives. Wow. I've got a lot of friends, but none like that. And you know what he's doing now? He is leveraging his power on behalf of all Christians. He's working, as Ephesians 1 says, his immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Would Jesus be able to work, would God in Christ be able to work his immeasurable greatness if that Jesus was still dead? Absolutely not. And that truth ought to strengthen me more than it does. Adam, he ate the fruit, and that door to darkness and evil was flung open, and started to ravage humanity from the very beginning. And there has never been any escaping this darkness. From that day forward, mankind owned a heart of darkness. Yet, when Jesus ate the bitter fruit of death and was rejected by God, the door to bright goodness was flung open when He rose from the dead. Evil would not, could not, may not have the final say. Now there's a way for mankind to escape the darkness. As Samwise Gamgee says, is everything sad coming untrue? Yes, and the resurrection is proof. The resurrection of Jesus answers that question, yes, everything sad is coming untrue, with a resounding yes. Every blessing, Christian, every blessing that you have echoes forth from that empty tomb. If Jesus were dead, we might as well just go home, smoke some ribs, and have a good time. But he's alive. He's alive. Every blessing for us comes forth from that empty tomb. And I know I'm not encouraged enough by that reality. You know how I can tell? You know how I can tell? I don't have to, I don't, I don't think about the arguments. I don't think about the arguments about whether there was a swoon theory, or a twin theory, or all that kind of stuff. You know how I can tell that the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't encourage me like it, does, like it should? I'm not joyful more. I can be more aware. In fact, I'm much more, more aware of those things in my life that are hard and difficult. I can look at my troubles and hardships and have a constantly furrowed brow. I fall asleep thinking about my troubles. I awake thinking about my troubles. Instead... If I can only get my eyes off myself and onto my resurrected Savior. You see, when I am more aware of my troubles and hardships and not aware of what Christ has done in me, I'm living like Jesus is dead. He's not. My Savior, He is not dead. I must not seek the living among the dead. I must not act as if Jesus was dead. I have so much to be joyful about and so do you. We must be encouraged. We must take our stand each day at the mouth of that empty tomb. We must be encouraged. We must build ourselves up recognizing that every blessing we have in Christ has come from that empty tomb. Here are some of the reasons we have to be encouraged because Christ lives. None of these would apply if He were dead. 
Christian, God is not angry with you. Will you sin again? Yes. Will he be angry? No. Is there any punishment for you? No. God is your father for now and forever. Jesus is alive. God is your father. He's never going to reject you. He's never going to send you away. We can go to him again and again asking for forgiveness, knowing that Christ died and rose again, and all of my sin has been put upon Him. And all of the punishment for my sin has been put upon Him, and no more is there any punishment for me. Because Jesus lives. Because Jesus lives, we know that we can experience real forgiveness, and not just a state of mind where we say, I think I'm probably okay. No, Christ lives, we're forgiven. We know that we can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God is with us. We're adopted as sons and daughters of God. We know that one day we will die physically, but we will rise again just like Jesus. We know one day that good, even though it doesn't seem like it, good will triumph over all evil. Because He lives. We know today that we are dead to sin and it cannot reign in our mortal bodies because He's alive. We know that He will hear our prayers. We we know that He will uphold us when we're weak. We know that He will go with us, walk with us in our trials. He will make all things work together for our good. We know that we are adopted into His family for keeps. That He will protect us from our remaining sin. That He will protect us until the end. That He will protect us from Satan and, and death. We know that we have an eternal inheritance no one can rob us from. We know that we have life, hope in this life and the life to come. We know that God uses us, even as weak as we are, to do His will. We know that one day we will, have, we will have God. We will live with God and we will be with Him. We know that today we need not carry guilt or shame or unworthiness and just know that our God loves us. Why? Jesus rose. That's why. All hope, all reason for rejoicing echoes forth from that empty tomb. He is not here. He is risen. This doesn't just mean that when we die, we get to be with Him forever. That's great. But Jesus is upholding us now. Do you live? Do you live like Jesus was dead? Is dead? He's alive. With Him alive, we can face anything. Think about some of the other encouragement that echoes forth from that empty tomb. We may lose everything, but we can't lose God. We may lose our grip on reality, but God will never lose His grip on us. We may have adversity pounce on us, but God is our ever-present help. We may lose our dearest friends, but we have not and cannot lose our God. We may have hearts that break, but we know that God is near to the brokenhearted. We may be accosted by crippling disappointments, and we know that God says, be patient. These afflictions, they're for a moment. Soon you will be with me forever. We know that even though we have children that wander off, we can pray to a God that calls back the prodigal on a regular basis. We know that even when our marriage is breaking, God can repair what seems irreparable. We know that even when our bank account is depleted, God has resources to provide everything we need. We know that even when friends abandon us, God cannot and will not leave us. We know that when people falsely accuse us, God speaks only promises and comfort to us. We know that when we, when we aren't what we should be or could be, 
God remembers His Son, and He is who we should have been and could have been. We know that when we lay dying and breathe our last, God will welcome us into life everlasting without death. Why? Because He lives. And Christian, we must not treat Jesus as if He were dead. Because He is not. Your future, your present, your everything is based on that reality. We must not seek the living among the dead. We can't treat Jesus as if He's dead, thinking the resurrection doesn't matter. We're thinking it doesn't help much. We're thinking it doesn't affect us much. We're forgetting to be encouraged by it. Without the resurrection of Christ, we have no one to worship. We have no hope to give. We have no help. But He is risen. We do not seek the living among the dead. George Herbert wrote a poem mocking death called Death, and it says in part, Death, and I updated some of the language so it's not 16th century. Death, you were once an uncouth, hideous thing, nothing but bones, the sad effect of sadder groans. Your mouth was open, but you could not sing. But since our Savior's death, He did put some blood into your face. You are now fair and full of grace. Much in request, much sought for as good. Death used to be an executioner. Now he's a gardener. Because Christ has robbed our mortal enemy of all his power. May we not seek the living among the dead. May we not live like Jesus is dead. He is risen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we're not just coming together to have happy thoughts together. Thank you that we, we come together serving a risen Savior. Thank you that we come together asking, asking for, asking for j- just to, us to see what you've done for us, Lord. Jesus, we look with awe and wonder and amazement at what you've done. You died for us and rose for us and lived today for us, Lord. May we be a people who do not live like you're dead. I pray that if there's any in here who do not believe in you, Lord, I pray that they would recognize the reality that Jesus is alive. You must be dealt with. I pray that you would help them to recognize the reality that he does and will forgive sins, that he takes those who are the dirtiest and the most unworthy and those that aren't fit for anything else and says, you be my son, you be my daughter, because Jesus died and rose again. So, Lord, I ask, I pray you would touch the hearts of any who here, here who don't know you. I pray for Christians here too, Lord. It's so easy for us to get our eyes off what matters and get sidetracked and focused on things that distract and put our happiness in the wrong places and not be encouraged enough by the empty tomb and live like you're dead, but you're not pray that this would be a reminder for all of us this morning, not to be among those that seek the living among the dead. 
as our Savior, you're alive. We're grateful that we pray to you and you hear us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for enduring the ravages of death. The wrath of God. So that we might be able to say every blessing comes forth from that empty tomb. It's in your name, Jesus, that we give thanks and pray.